So we just thank God, we just praise God for today. His mercy is on you every day. His grace, His mercy. I mean, actually, if you watch the video of Rittenhouse at the point when he heard the jury had pronounced him not guilty on all five counts, he literally fell on the floor. Okay, and we need to realize our response should be that every day. We didn't earn. He cannot earn mercy. He can never earn grace. Neither of it cannot be earned. It's freely given. We were all under the death sentence. All under the death sentence. We look at him as being guilty, but the fact is that it's not that. We all are guilty. And he has extended mercy and grace every day. And our response. When we wake up in the morning, Lord, thank you. Thank you for life. Thank you that when we wake up in the morning, the jury in heaven pronounces not guilty. Because of Jesus. Father, this morning, we just want to thank you. We just want to praise you. We just want to worship you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you for another day. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We just want to bless your holy name, Lord. Above all, above all, that gift of salvation. This is a gift. We could have never worked for it. We could have never earned it. It was freely given to us because of your son. We just want to be grateful, Lord, and help us, Spirit of God, remind us constantly to remain grateful for salvation. That our souls are secure. Never, never will we be cast away from God's presence. Never. Forever yours, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. This morning, even as we go to the teaching of the word, I pray we'll go with that heart. Grateful heart. Grateful, Lord. Grateful for what you have done and what you are doing in our lives. In the light of everything else, Lord. All the things, other things we go in life pales into insignificance in the light of what you are doing. For it is an eternal work that you are doing in us, Lord. Thank you, Father. Help us to lift our hearts, our minds, our thoughts to things that are truly above, not things that are below. Teach us, speak to us, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray, Amen, Amen, Amen. Last week we had looked at, uh, we had looked at, be repentant. When we are not repentant, we are actually repugnant. <laughs> okay, but... Most of the problems believers face, believers face, are got to do with the first part of the gospel. Repent. It's a constant thing. Most of our troubles. Because if we have crossed one to two, then solution is there. Solution is faith towards God's. And when you have faith towards God, grace comes in. And God tells my grace is sufficient, but you cannot go anything through life which grace cannot handle. It doesn't matter what you're going through. Grace will always handle it. So our issue is not with primarily with two, but primarily with one. 
it's with repentance. And repentance is not primarily an emotional thing. There is an emotion involved because of the person against whom we have sinned. But it's primarily not an emotional thing. It's a decision of the will. It's a decision of the will. Okay? And uh, uh, unless you... Unless you and I keep repenting every time we hear the word of God. The word of God is not for that's only That's the only time when it becomes life. Otherwise, it's just knowledge. It's just knowledge. And knowledge doesn't save you. It can destroy you, lack of knowledge, but doesn't save you. Knowledge has to become life. Okay, like I was telling the Nepali church, it's sometimes easier with simple people to give illustrations. Imagine I keep a chair over here and it's a big fat tomcat sitting on it and I invite Akila it's your birthday come sit on this chair (laughs) now the question is will Akila sit on the chair she has two choices she sits on the chair she will have a wonderful experience with a cat okay (laughs) or she has to chase the cat out of the chair then only sit our problem is that we are receiving the word of God without repenting Without repent, without taking that cat out. We wonder why we get scratched all the time. <laughs> it's because you cannot, you cannot. So what is happening is we are just uh, keeping this contradictory idea side by side. And it will not work for us. It simply will not work for us. That's where repentance comes in. And repentance, lack of repentance is the primary cause of the problems in our life. <clears throat> because if you look at it, <coughs> I just wrote this in the morning, okay. Most of our issues in life has got to do with lack of repentance. This is not part of my message, it's part of my notes, okay. <laughs> my personal notes. We want God to solve our problems so that we can live lives our way. <laughs> but that's not salvation. That is not for what grace is given. Grace is given so that we can be saved from our thoughts and our ways to live by his thoughts and his ways. And that's where repentance comes. For nowhere does the Bible talk about salvation before repentance. Before repentance. Okay. In the process, what happens, there is a radical change, both in our thinking and in our living, the ways of working out. And our problems in life should be connected to that. Meaning, our problem should be because we are swimming upstream. But most of our problems are not because we are swimming upstream. It's because we are carried by the stream down with the world. And we hit rocks, sometimes it was a joy ride. But our problems are not connected mostly with swimming upstream. Because if it were, our reaction would be different. Reaction would be different. Okay, reaction would be different. Because the Bible is very clear how people react when they are up swimming upstream that their, their, uh, uh, struggles are connected with, uh, the second part of salvation, which is sanctification. God, Jesus. So that we have to, we have to think absolutely differently. Otherwise we haven't, we can, the grace of God cannot come into our lives. It cannot come into our lives. And we fall short of the grace of God. We fall short of the grace of God. Okay. There will be a radical change in our thinking, in the way we think, so that that's the way we will live. 
Okay, because in this world, when we are actually being saved, Jesus promised, you will have troubles. He said, you will have tribulations. So our mind should be ready for that. See, when I taught Shakespeare, I was a professor, basically, professing a subject. That subject and my teaching never affected my life. You taught, you left. It never changed your thinking. It never affected your life except the salary. But even the salary was not affected by your teaching. Never affected by your teaching. There was no grading or anything at all. You taught, you left. But the difference was that the word of God cannot be addressed the same way. I cannot come here and teach the word of God and say my life will not be touched. I cannot hear the word of God and say, oh, I just heard, it's good, it's nice. No, it is not. The minute your mind changes because you hear the word of God and you start living it out, it comes, the trouble comes. It comes. And you know when the trouble comes? You welcome it. You welcome it. Your reaction is completely different. In the world, that is not how you react to trouble. You don't welcome trouble in the world. You don't welcome trouble in the world. You try to skirt it. You try to negotiate with it. In the in the kingdom of God, it is a completely different thing. That is where repentance comes in. We need to realize we need repentance is not primarily emotional. It is a very clear change of thinking. We think as God thinks. How did Jesus walk on earth? And then how did the apostles walk on earth? Otherwise we are reacting just like the world and the grace of God is not coming. So the problem is not faith towards God. It's We are not able to have faith towards God. It's because we are not repenting from our thoughts and our ways. So today we will continue. Okay, We're not on repentance, but repentance is always a part of every time I read, I hear, I study. Repentance is a part of it. Because even if it is the same portion of scripture you are reading or listening, God will speak to you something where there is change required. Okay, that is required. And then you cannot negotiate either with the Spirit of God or with the Word of God because both are what you call Lord. Okay, that's the thing. It's not the saving part. He cannot save you unless you accept his lordship. He has made him both Christ and Savior. Lord and Savior. If he has to save you, you have to accept his lordship. Okay, so the lordship of the Holy Spirit, the lordship of the word of God. And it's got nothing to do with your circumstances or with the people around you. The simple question is, do you want to be saved? And you cannot be saved unless you accept the lordship of the word that the spirit is telling you. And that is repentance. You put away your thought and you put away the way that is associated with your thought and receive his thought and accept his way. God says, you are being saved. You are being sanctified. So repentance is constant. Let's turn first to John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. Okay. For as many as received him, to them he gave them the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. So who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So you will see there is action 
involved over there. Okay? You have to receive this person. That's why I said it's not an idea. Idea can be accepted and not practiced. Practice. Okay? You have to receive a person. It's a person you are receiving. That him you are receiving is the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ. Because the spirit of God and the spirit of Christ, the same spirit, the Holy Spirit. Okay? When we receive this person and we believe in what he has done in his name, we have believed in what he has done, we are born of God. When you are born of God, what does God give us? He gives us the right, the power, the authority to become the children of God. Now, he has only given us the power to become the children of God. We have to become the children of God. It's like a child child comes to, like, let us say, today is happy birthday, Akila, once again. Akila's birthday, okay. Akila's birthday. And her dad or mom gives her a thousand rupees and says, go celebrate. Now, she has the power of a thousand rupees to celebrate. Now, she has only the power, but she has to spend it. Spend it. Only when she spends it is the experience. Okay? So God has given us authority. Now we have to use that authority and that power to become something. But remember, the power and the authority is given for a purpose. What is that? To become the child of God. Not the child of man. You're already a child of man. Not a child of this world. The power or the authority is being given for one purpose, that you become the child of God, because you are born of God. So therefore, we look at, so basically when you are studying the word of God personally, or hearing the word of God, your entire focus, because of it matter, matters your focus is, what am I looking for? I'm looking to know who my father is. It's a simple thing. What is the whole purpose of salvation? We become the children of God. So who is my father? And how do I know the father? Through his only begotten son. The only way I can know the father is because he had one son who became like me. I can't know the father unless I know Jesus. It's not possible to know God unless I know Jesus because God is spirit and Jesus became flesh. And Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the father. So the entire purpose of a child of God, study of the word of God is to know his father or her father and become like him. Like father, like child. Okay, We'll say child because we have sons and daughters. So when you come to First Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, the most important characteristic of God. Like we remember in our weekly teachings, I said, because we are physical and not uh, uh spirit beings like the others and we are caught in this material world, our first response to God is thanksgiving. We thank God. okay, And we praise God. Thanksgiving is connected with God's goodness and praises God to do with God's greatness. But we also say that person is good, this person is great. okay. But worship is connected with God's holiness. So in heaven, you don't see people, the angels saying, thank you, Lord, or how great. You will see them saying, holy, holy, holy. Okay. But now that we are born again, 
God says, you know what? I want you to know that the most important facet of my nature, it's not my goodness. It's not my greatness. God is good all the time. God is great all the time. But what I really you want you to know is my holiness. Because that's who I am. And that's who I want you to be. I want you to be good. I want you to be good. And don't worry, I will make you great. He told Abraham, I'll make you great. Don't worry about that. You just listen and walk with me. You will become great. Okay? A great father's children will be great. Okay? You will become great. A good father's children will become good. Just follow me. Just still. But I want you to be holy. Because he who called you is holy, so you also be holy in all your conduct. Why? What is the reason? Why should it be, be holy? Why? Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. That is the whole concept. God is holy. Now don't just say God is holy. You have to say, my father is holy. That's what changes. Okay? Because you are born of God, not by the will of man. Not by flesh, born of God. When we are born of God, he gave us the authority to be his child. And what is he? He is holy. We are children of a holy God. <coughs> so, Hebrews 12, verse 9 and 10. Again, same principle. Furthermore, we had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection who? To the father of spirits and love. He's the father of my spirit and your spirit. When you're born again, he became the father of my spirit. My father was the father of my body, my flesh. But he is the father of our spirit and love. What do you say? For indeed, for a few days, the chastened has seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our profit. For what? That we may be partakers of his holiness. So when God does everything in our life, it is for one purpose, that we partake of his actual nature. See, you can be good without being holy. You can be great without being. Nobody calls Alexander the holy. We see Alexander the great. Alexander the great. You see, that's, but you see, what God wants us is to be partaker of his holiness. Holiness. Because that is when we truly become children of God. Because about goodness and greatness, there's always comparison in this world. Oh, he's a really good person. That's a really great player. You know, but when it comes to holiness, God is cut above the rest of his creation. Rest of the creation. I personally believe only Human beings, the born-again human beings, have the capacity to become holy like God. Not even the angels do not have that capacity to become holy like Him. Because they are not born of Him. They are not born of His Spirit. Okay? So we need to realize, this should be, this should excite us. It should, the flesh doesn't like it because it always looks at messages of holiness, sanctification as a joy killer. But those who are born of God, when we hear this, it should be a completely different attitude. So that the Bible says, so that we may become what? Partakers of his holiness. And in verse 14, the Bible says, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. 
So why do we pursue holiness? So that we can see our Father. See here in this sense actually means experience. Okay, it is not talking about our physical eyes. Because physical eyes don't matter. I look at all of you, but I do not experience you like when I look at Vijay, I see Pastor Vijay. But when Justin looks at Pastor Vijay, she sees the same outward form. But the, the way she sees him and the way that I see him will be completely different. It's not the same. The experience is completely different. She sees him at a level which none of us can ever see him. Why? Because she lives in close proximity with him and she knows him for donkey's years. So she sees him differently. The outward form is the same. The person I look at and the person Justin looks at is the same person. But what they see is not the same. There will be similarities, but there is also will be a huge gap. And that is what eternity is going to be. God says, how you experience me will be different. You really, really want to experience me in eternity because all. I mean, think about it. No, I, I, I know <coughs> about people who are uh, crazy about sightseeing. <coughs> They, they can travel and travel and travel and they can imagine they can, people who enjoy traveling and they see those sights and they can have these pictures and photography or those who enjoy music, enjoy books, all, oh, it's okay. And there is, there's a lot of pleasure in it. Now if you look at it, all that they're enjoying and experiencing is basically creation. Imagine then the pleasure of enjoying the creator person that created all this, created all this, okay, created all this, okay, and that is what we will miss without holiness. God says without holiness, no one will see God, no one will see God, no one will experience, no one will experience God, no one, and we know in with created stuff, we know that. We know that with created stuff, like let me say for an example, over here with a set of people sitting over here, let me tell you, if you were to give one a book of fiction, you wouldn't read the, the same way that I would read it. It's not possible for you to read it the way I would read it because I was trained to read fiction, how to analyze fiction. Okay, how to analyze fiction. And what I see there, you will not see at all. You may enjoy it, but you will not be able to see at all what I see. Okay, in the same way, let us get a small little robot over here. I mean, all of us will enjoy it. But Pastor Vijay's mind will be working on a different tangent altogether. Why are we not able to even go anywhere near him? Because his mind works in a different way. Why? He has been trained in it. Okay. This is what the Bible is talking about. <clears throat> Without holiness, you will not see God. Our experience of God, even now, and in eternity, will be limited. It will be limited. So, this has got to do with experiencing our Father. Experiencing our Savior. Experiencing simply, I mean, there are no adjectives, superlatives. The most beautiful person you and I will ever encounter in life and in eternity. You want to put it as a person, you want to put it as an idea, you want to put it as an object, you want to put it in whatever formats you want to talk about. Now people will say, so this is the most beautiful place 
in the world. But not true. You haven't seen the whole world. But they will say, wow, I've never seen anything like that. Meaning when it comes to God, there is no comparison. And that's what you're missing. What we are missing. <clears throat> okay, so understand God that way. So it is God's desire for us to be holy. So that he sees us. That we see him. He sees us. That we see him. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3. <clears throat> For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Okay, we'll just look at that. Otherwise, we'll come second part and we'll think that's the only thing connected with sanctification. It's only a small part of it. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctify. Okay, whenever English uses the word F-Y, okay, uses the word it actually means cause to become pure, purify. Okay, pure, purify. Purify means you're causing it to become pure. And rectify. Causing it to become proper. FY. So sanctify. This is the will of God, your sanctification or sanctify. So the root word of sanctify word is sant, which from which you get saint which is the Greek word hagios or hagios, however you pronounce it, which means holy. Which means holy. Your sanctification. Be sanctified means be holy. Okay? Be holy. This is the will of God. Okay? And if you come to verse 4, I think I didn't give it over there. <clears throat> it's a condition. Okay? It is a condition. It's a state of being. Okay? Verse 4. Can we have it? Yeah, same thing. Four, three, and four. Yeah, it's not coming. Got it? That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification. What is your vessel? It's your body. Why should the body? Because that is the container in which your soul and your spirit is. It's as simple as that. Okay, like this is the container. Technically, I am not drinking the glass. I'm not drinking the glass. I am drinking whatever concussion you can call this. I don't know what to call this. What is this? This is not okay. Lemon tea. Okay, lemon tea. I I wasn't very sure what this was. <laughs> I always you know. Should I call it brown tea or should I call it lemon tea? Okay. Okay. So what is this? This is lemon tea. But if you notice, if I have to drink the lemon tea, I need a container. I need a cup. And the most important part about the cup is one, it should be clean. It should be clean. Okay? So that you can drink. So the whole thing concept about the body comes over there. The body is in which the soul and the spirit resides. It's a container. And the Bible says, first simple thing he talks about, the Bible talks about is that, learn how to hold your own vessel, your own body in what? In sanctification, because it is the earthen vessel in which our soul and our spirit reside. In Acts chapter 7 and verse 48, however, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands as the prophet says. Okay, so we're talking about buildings. And God had always had this and the new covenant revelation comes. Okay, so when churches are destroyed, 
We are only upset because law and order and justice did not take place. We are not upset a building were broken down because we know God does not live in a building. God does not live in a building. So what is a building he is looking for? In Corinthians, the Holy Spirit through Paul in 6.19 will say, Do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Okay, so because our body happens to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, sanctify it. Keep it holy. Possess your own vessels in holiness. Why? Because your soul and your spirit. Okay, let us use this simple example when we are talking. If this glass, okay, if this glass has, let us say, a very virulent virus in it, and the glass was not washed, and I did not know, and the tea was poured, and I drink it. Now, what has happened? Is the tea harming me? No. It is the unsanctified glass that is causing disease, which has contaminated the tea that was in it. So that's why the Bible says, when our body is unsanctified, it affects the soul. It affects the soul. Okay? Because the vessel, it's a vessel in which the vessel in which the soul and the spirit dwells is the body. So the Bible talks about it. Your body is the temple of the living God. Hold your body. And this is the process of sanctification. So when you are talking about sanctification, it touches your body. It touches your soul. It even touches your spirit. Because the Bible talks about the filthiness of the spirit. It touches your spirit too. So the question Today we will ask is that, we look into the Bible and we look at that, okay? So, sanctification is the most important part of your life after you are saved. There's no point in being sanctified without being saved, okay? You're just, you're just cleaning yourself for slaughter. That's all. There's no point. You have to be saved first. Once you are saved, the most important part of our life is our sanctification. And how does God cause us to be holy? What are the, let us use that term, agents of our sanctification? How do I, what does God use? Because there's a part you and I have to play. But ultimately it is God who sanctifies. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13. The first one. We are bound to give thanks to God Always for you, brethren, because by the beloved, by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit. You know, the first agent of sanctification is the Holy Spirit. Where there is no Holy Spirit, you cannot be sanctified. That is why the Pharisees could not be sanctified. Jesus looked at them and he said, you know what, you're whitewashed graves. Nice whitewash outside. Inside you are rotten. The simple reason they were rotten is not because they did not know scripture. It's because they did not have the spirit. Without the spirit, nobody can be sanctified. It's not possible. We cannot be sanctified. So the first agent is the Holy Spirit. He is the agent of sanctification. The person that God uses to sanctify. And the first act of the Holy Spirit is that he convicts, he draws us to Jesus, 
He gives us the faith to believe. And he gives us the grace that saves us. It's entirely the work of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit doesn't convict, nobody can be saved. Okay. The only part in ours is that we choose when he convicts. We can reject or accept. But he's the one who convicts. He's the one who points us to Jesus Christ. He's the one who gives us the gift of faith to believe. And when we believe it, he is the one who comes as grace and saves us. So it's entirely the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay. The only thing that we do is we choose. Man has been given the free will. I said before you, life and death. Blessing and curses. You choose. Primarily the only thing that even this morning we are doing, we have the autonomy, the freedom to do is the freedom to choose. Which, there's a dog sitting outside, Tommy is sitting outside. You call him inside, give him a good lecture, he doesn't make any choice. He doesn't make any choice. He cannot choose. He cannot choose. So we need to realize how fundamentally different we are because of one thing that we can hear. We can hear. Everybody has ears. We can understand to a level. And with our level of understanding, we can choose. We can choose. That's the only thing we can actually do. We can choose. And when we choose, the rest of the things the Holy Spirit does. Okay. And what happens is, when it happens, every time we make a choice, according to the leading of the Holy Spirit, we are sanctified. We are set apart. We are made holy. Okay. So the question happened, the question comes, when did this happen? <laughs> Much before we were aware of it. Galatians 1.5 and Jeremiah 1.5. Oh, no. When I was... Yeah, 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 sorry. Okay. When it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb. When did you get saved? On the road to Damascus. When were we chosen in my mother's womb? He didn't know God. God knew him. That is the other side of predestination, meaning when we were chosen before. Okay. And Jeremiah one five tells the same thing. God tells the young man Jeremiah, when were you chosen? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I sanctified you. Okay. So when you talk, talk think about sanctification, remember we were sanctified before we were born. Only with God, it makes sense. Only with God, it makes sense. Before we were born, we were sanctified. So we are just playing out certain things. We are playing out certain things. But we have to play it out. Okay? Okay? First Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. Who are we? Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace and peace to be multiplied. And if you look into kingdom, in the kingdom maths is interesting. Kingdom maths, there is usually no addition, uh, subtraction, division. It's always multiplication. It's always multiplication. God doesn't add. He multiplies grace and multiplies peace into us as we believe. Okay. So, 
Sanctification is the process by which the Holy Spirit draws us to the reality of who God is in Christ. For what? To the obedience to this truth. If I have to be sanctified, he shows me something. Shows me something. When he shows me something, if I have to receive it, I have to display something. Even when you pour tea into is what is being displaced is air. Otherwise tea won't go in. Tea won't go in. If that air were to be frozen and it is becomes ice and over there, you can't pour tea into it. Okay? So when you hear, when you hear something, you will have to get rid of something that does not agree with it. That's repentance. Repentance. That is what it's talking about. For obedience. For obedience. For obedience. And what happens? Because repentance has two parts of it, putting away and putting on. There is a sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Because every time you hear a truth, you're convicted of your wrong. And then you realize the blood has to work. Because the wages of sin is death. Wages of sin is still death. The sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. And again, please remember why grace and peace to be multiplied? Because it is the Holy Spirit who gives us the grace to obey. And when we obey, what is the result? Our state of being, our state of being is peace. Very rarely in scripture do you see peace put before grace. It's always after grace. Because peace is a result of grace. So the first agent of sanctification is the Holy Spirit. His very leading itself is sanctification. And he makes us holy because he is holy. Because he is holy. Okay. Then the second agent, Ephesians chapter 5 verses 25 and 26. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. How? That he may, Christ may, sanctify and cleanse her, that's us, with the washing of water by the word. The second agent he uses is the word of God. Why do we come for the word of God? Why do we come for the word of God? Because the word of God is the cleansing agent the Holy Spirit uses. That's what he uses. Without the word of God, we cannot be cleansed. We cannot be cleansed because the word of God is that is coming in. That is the one that is convicting us. And that is the one which leads us to peace and to righteousness and to sanctification. Second agent. Okay, if it, I didn't give it to you, 1 John 5, 6 talks about Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 6. This is he who, Jesus Christ, who came by water and blood. Christ Jesus, not only by water, but by the water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. So what is the Bible talking about? Jesus came by water and by blood. We know about the blood. Why does it say he came by water? And in the Old Covenant, if you realize, any sacrifice that was offered had to be washed under running water, pure water. It has to be washed. So what is that Jesus does? He redeems us by his blood. And then he washes and sanctifies us by the washing of the water of his word. A lot of people never grow Though they have believed, repented, believed and accepted Christ, 
received Christ, they never grow because they never go to the washing of the water of the word. They are never growing in their sanctification. They have believed in the blood, but they are not allowing the water to work on them. Okay? For the disciples who walked with him and after Judas had left, if I'm right in John 15 verse 3, Jesus tells them, you are clean because of the word. That's what the word does. Judas, I mean, again, remember, you have to receive the word for it to clean you. Judas did not receive the word, so the word did not clean him, though he was in the group. So Jesus did not tell them when Judas was around that you're already clean because of the word, because he was not clean. After he left, in John 13, we'll see, after he left, he tells the other 11, you're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So the second agent of cleansing, of sanctification, is the word of God. He did not come by blood alone. He came by blood and water. His blood, his blood which is shed on the cross for our salvation, for the remission of our sins, alone is not enough. After that, we have to continue under the ministry of the word of God so that we are sanctified. John seventeen seventeen. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Meaning, it fundamentally, fundamentally and radically changes the way we think. That's what it means. Think. Because if as a man thinks, so he see. If we don't change our thinking, we will never change our ways. We'll never change our ways. Our ways are not changing. It's because our thinking is not changing. It's not that we are not hearing the word of God, but we are not allowing the hearing of the word of God to affect our thinking. We hear the word of God, but still think the old way. And therefore, what happens? Our ways are not changing. If our way has to change, our thinking has to change. Thinking has to change. Because the word of God is the agent. In Romans 12 and verse 2, that's what the Bible is talking about. Do not be conformed to this world. When it says do not be conformed to the world, what does it mean? The thinking patterns of the world. Why does the world behave in a particular way? Because it thinks in a particular way. Thinks in a particular way. But be transformed. If you want to be transformed, if you want to really change, then it is only possible by the renewing of your renew, made new. Your mind is made new. To, to make something new, you have to remove the old out and put something new in. The old pattern of thinking is being taken out and the new pattern of thinking of the word of God. The word of God is, why do we study the word of God and why do we need the Holy Spirit is to see the Holy, the word of God basically teaches us how does God think? Why does God do things the way he does? Because of the way he thinks. Why does God do things only in certain ways? Because of the way he thinks. And one good thing about the word of God is that God never changes. So if I can change according to the word, I have become constant. I have not only become constant, that part of my thinking and that part of my character has become eternal. Has it been, not even temporal. It has become eternal. It has become eternal because that's the nature of God. Everything about God is eternal. Eternal. And that's what the Bible is talking about. Ephesians 4 and verse 23. Be renewed where? In the spirit of your mind. That's what the word of God does. Sanctification, what happens? You are being made new. 
You're being made new. Your mind is becoming new. The old way of thinking, the old patterns of thinking is being changed and new. Like I said, like I said in the beginning, if we really understand and believe the word of God, we won't be surprised by the things that happen in our lives. When tribulation happens, trials happens, we are not surprised. We expect it to come. And we are not offended. We are not upset. We expect it to happen because you know what? God never lies. He told you these things will happen. And he said these things will only happen because you refuse to think like the world and refuse to act like the world. These things will happen. And when they happen, rejoice and be exceedingly glad because that is proof of your citizenship. Proof of your citizenship. That shows who you belong to. And are you ashamed of me? God says, are you ashamed of me? Are you ashamed of me? He said, I'm not ashamed of you. But if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Okay? So, we that's what I said. We need to have a radical change of thinking. Completely radical change of thinking. Otherwise, what will happen is that God's Spirit is not able to sanctify us. Because you... You cannot live the kingdom life and have the results of the world. You cannot live the world life and have the results of the kingdom. It is not possible. I mean, we, we must be lunatic even to think those th- way. And yet people in the kingdom of God get so upset when trouble happens to them because they change their thinking and change their ways according to the word of God. And God says, that is natural. That's the way it's supposed to be. Okay? That's the way it's supposed to be. So it is the Holy Spirit that renews our mind through the Word. Okay? Through the Word. He does it through the Word. Okay? Humorously, you know, when people get saved and we go to the church, this is some of the things used to happen in my meetings also. Some of the guys and all used to tell their friends, don't go to his meetings, you'll get brainwashed. But do you know what? It's a true thing. That's what the word of God does. It washes your brains. It washes your brain clean. It washes your brain clean. It takes your whole way of thinking, completely washes it, and makes it new. Okay? Okay, he does it. Okay? He does. He washes our brains out with pure, <laughs> with pure water of the word. Okay, so the first agent, remember, the first agent is the Spirit of God, the person of God, the Spirit of God. The second is the Word of God, the written Word of God, which we say Scripture, and Scripture cannot be broken. So don't ever try to change Scripture. 6,000 years, mankind has been trying to change what God has spoken. It doesn't work. It does not work. Third agent, Hebrews 13 and verse 12. 13 and verse 12. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. The third agent God uses is the blood of Jesus. So the Spirit of God, the Word of God, now the blood of God, the blood of God's own Son, the third agent he uses. Okay. Jesus shed his blood for many purposes. One, of course, is the main thing, remission of our sins. The remission of our sins and our sanctification are not the same. Are not the same. Okay? Remission is one time. You're forgiven. All your sin. 
you're born again. Sanctification through the blood is a daily process. So the blood has a one-time job and a daily job. Okay, daily job. One was to redeem us. <coughs> the other was to sanctify us, to set us apart daily. So the Spirit sets us apart daily, the Word sets us apart daily, and the blood does. Okay. It is possible, in a sense, to live where sin or Satan cannot touch us. And it is only possible through the blood. It's only possible through the blood. Okay. It's the overcoming life. On a day-to-day basis. Not that we have become perfect. Not we have become perfect. But today, if you want, you can overcome sin, you can overcome Satan, and only possible through the blood. 1 John 1 7. If, actually it is present continuous, it should be like, if we continually walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have continually fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, continually cleanses us from all sin. Okay? So, that's where the Bible is talking about. It says, if we continually, see, God, God is not asking you or me to walk in the light of the word we will know tomorrow. He's not asking. He's asking us to walk in the light of the word we know today. As simple as that. He says, if we walk in the light we have today, what happens? We have fellowship. We have fellowship. Okay? Now, fellowship, when you use the term fellowship, is, it's a very restricted term. Like, let's, let me make myself as an example. Now, I, I came from home. So my fellowship primarily is with my wife, with my son, then little Siri, and my mother. Okay, four people in the house. Okay, did I have fellowship with uh, four people? No, only one, because others were sleeping. But that's fine. I did not live in conflict with the others. I left in peace with the others, even when they were sleeping, because when you went to sleep in the night, and everybody went to sleep in the night, I had peace with my wife, had peace with my mother, I had peace with my son, and I had peace with the other child. So there was no break in fellowship. Okay? And then I come over here. Now I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten people. Do I have a conflict with anybody over here? No. Now you may feel if you have conflict, it would be only because you may have done something and you realize pastor does not approve of me. Now that is not my problem. I have peace with you. I have peace with you. I have peace with you. You need to have peace with me. You just need to come and say, you know, Pastor, I have changed. I have changed. I know you scolded me last time, but I have changed. I am not in that. I said, okay. I trust you. I trust you. Okay? I trust you. So when we are talking about fellowship, don't make it the whole world. That's why the Bible says, as far as possible within you, live in with peace. Okay, with peace. We don't have this intense fellowship with everybody. It's not possible to live like that. Even Jesus had only very close fellowship with three of his disciples. 
Okay? We don't have this intense fellowship with everybody, then life will have, will be full of tension. Because it is not possible, because people are changing. Okay? People are changing. Okay? People are changing. It takes time. And sometimes it is not, I mean, the way I fellowship with Sarah. It will be completely different from, I mean, Sarah will enjoy my fellowship, but that doesn't mean I can sit with Sarah the whole day. Sarah will enjoy it. You know, yeah? grandpa is there, grandpa doesn't shout at me, I can do whatever I want, but then can I sit down and Sarah, let us have a discussion. How long will I talk to her? Okay. So though she may enjoy my fellowship, because every word she says, I will probably understand. But I have to be absolutely restricted in my words so that she can understand. Do you understand how God talks to us? He has to be so restricted in how he communicates to us so that we can understand a fraction of what he's trying to tell us. So when God says grow, is so that we can enjoy our fellowship. So we need to understand Sometimes we are loving to everybody, we are kind to everybody, but we cannot fellowship with everybody with the same way we want to fellowship because we know many parts of the body has not grown and does not have the same interest. Same interest. Like if we sit over here, we are... Like let's say 15 people over here, I don't know how many of us are here, we probably would not have one common sport which all of us can talk about. We say cricket, maybe many, but still there will be people who don't follow cricket at all. If we say chess, there may be three or four. If we say football, maybe two or three. You will realize, you know what, we don't have common subjects. We don't have common subjects. You cannot take any subject in this world, in this particular group, and see that all of us can fellowship. So the only thing we have common is our God, which makes us one. Then again, the problem happens. We all do not know God the same way. Two, we are not interested in God the same way. So when somebody tries to talk about God, the other person will be bored. Bored. Okay, We need to understand that. And that's the reaction you see in the church on a Sunday morning when this hundred people or plus are sitting over there and you are preaching the word of God. What you're seeing is their interest or lack of interest? Understanding or no understanding? You know why? It's because it is difficult to fellowship. And why is it difficult to fellowship? Only one reason, because you are not walking in the light. What is that is common about us? What is common about the church? It is God. He is light. What is common about us is Christ. It is Christ that has made us one. Born of God. We are the children of God. And the word of God is what is common to us. But when we do not walk in the light, it affects our fellowship. Okay? Fellowship. But when you walk in the light... We can still, the one who walks in the light is still able to fellowship with the others. Still able to fellowship. Though he may not or she may not be able to have the intensity of fellowship he or she longs, but still is able to fellowship. And what happens? There is a conviction that takes place of the Holy Spirit. And what does it do? The blood of Jesus continuously cleanses. 
Because when light comes in, okay, this, this light, okay, if you put these lights off, okay, lights off, you will not see the pulpit the same way. Okay, you must have seen the pulpit so many times, but increase the light, suddenly you will see even the grains on this. The more light comes in, the more you are able to see clearly, the more you see your need to repent. And what does happens when you do? The blood of Jesus continuously sanctifies. Sanctifies. Okay, so the thing about light is that we should not be afraid of light. We should not be afraid of light because the light of God does not destroy us. Does not. It is not what you call focused on us to destroy us. It is focused on us to cleanse us so that we can walk even more closely with him and closely with one another. But when that happens, what is the one that sanctifies there? It is the blood that sanctifies. It is the blood of Jesus that sanctifies. So, what happens is, when that happens, even though we live in an evil, contaminated world, we can live blameless. Philippians 2, verse 15 and 16. That you may become blameless and harmless. Okay? How do we become blameless? By the blood of Jesus. Okay, in a contaminated environment, absolutely contaminated world environment, you can be blameless. What makes you blameless? It is your, it's the blood of Jesus. You walk in the light, you have fellowship with the Hindu neighbor, he may not like your God or your faith, but you have no issues with him. <laughs> you don't have any issues with his religion also, because you know it has no meaning. <laughs> now you always tell my wife, now leave it alone. <laughs> it makes no difference. We don't have to worry about anybody's religion. All we have to do is lift up Christ. Religion has been there from centuries. It's not going to take anybody anymore. So I don't have an issue with the Hindus' religion or the Muslims' religion. I have no issues. My job is to lift Christ. Okay. His issue is with me. Because when he comes to me, I say only Christ. There's no other way. Only Christ. Okay. So I can have fellowship with him. He struggles to fellowship with me. He struggles to fellowship with me. So we can be blameless. And not only blameless, harmless. That's it. Right? True child of God is harmless in the society. He doesn't bring any harm. He doesn't bring any harm to the society. He's harmless. Okay, he's harmless. He's not in, in writing. He's not in breaking in. He's not in any of those things. He's a harmless person. He's a harmless person. He's blameless and he's harmless. But what makes you blameless and harmless? It's the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is constantly making you more and more blameless and more and more harmless. Because when the word of God comes in, the word of God shows, you know, even this attitude of yours is wrong. Repent. You repent, cleanse. You become even more harmless to the society. Even more blameless. Constantly making you more blameless and more harmless. More harmless. What is it? It's the blood of Jesus. 
1 John 5 and verse 18. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. It looks initially scary. Actually, it is not talking primarily about a person. It is talking about a nature. The new born again nature cannot sin. It cannot sin. It's impossible for that person to sin. Cannot sin. Okay. So John through the Holy Spirit is talking about the new man, that new nature. That person that is born of God. First Peter 1.23 Because this is an eternal principle. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. Okay, Through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. This eternal principle. The nature of the seed determines the life. The orange seed will only produce an orange. You can take that seed and plant it anywhere. It will not produce an apple. It can only produce an orange whichever part of the world. So the seed determines the life it will produce. If you are born of incorruptible seed, you will only produce incorruptible life. Incorruptible seed cannot produce corruptible life. That's what it says, he who is born of God cannot sin. Cannot sin. It's, it's not possible. Because you are born of a incorruptible seed, therefore that seed, it doesn't t- matter where you take that life and plant it, it only produces incorruptible life. But the old one, life, old seed of the carnal man, it doesn't matter where, what environment you put in, the best environment, it can only produce corruptible life. This is true of every man, woman, child, born of God. 1 John 3, 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For the seed remains in him. Why? Because of the seed. Seed is incorruptible. And he, he does not sin. Because he cannot sin. Okay. Now, instead of the earlier illustration, today is Akila's birthday. Her father did not give her anything. And she goes out. She cannot shop because she does not have anything to shop with. You see the difference? She does not shop because she has no money to shop with. That's what the Bible says. He cannot sin. He does not sin because he cannot sin. And why cannot he sin? Because he's born of God. He's born of God. Okay. These are very powerful principles. This is how you overcome. You see what? I cannot sin. You have to see which is your identity. Who are you really? What is my identity? Who am I? Who am I? Am I the old man born of flesh with the will of a father? Or am I the new person born of God? Born of God. 
That's where your thought has to change, your confession has to change, your act will change. You know, you have to believe about what God says. Okay. John 3, 6. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. 1 John 5, 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world of our faith. So if you put all these three together, it's interesting. So we have a who, we have a that, and we have a what. That which is born, who is born, whatever is born, does not sin. He says, whichever grammatical <laughs> construction you want to use. A who, a that, or a what. Okay, so what is it talking about? It is talking about a nature. The nature of that person who is born of God. Sin cannot touch him. Satan cannot touch him. Satan can only touch the old man. Old man. So if you go back to 1 John 5, 18. We know that whatever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God honors is on us. Honors is on us. God says, my spirit is there. My word is there. My blood is there. Now you keep yourself. Honors is on us to keep ourselves. So the question is, how do I keep myself? Where do I keep myself? That is 1 John 1, 7. Stay in the light. Stay under the blood. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So what does the Bible say? Walk in the light. Walk in fellowship. Walk under the blood. Okay, That is what it means, pursue peace. The most important part of fellowship is not talking. The most important part of fellowship is peace. It's not about talking. You may not have talked to your wife at all this morning, but if you have peace, it's fine. You may have talked a lot with your wife, and if you have no peace, <laughs> if you have no peace, you have no peace. So people think about fellowship as talking. No, it's not about talking. It's not about talking. It's about peace. It's peace. Meaning, you have a unity of mind. You have a unity of purpose. There is no conflict over there. So it is not about talking, talking, talking. God is not talking to us all the time. But we need to have peace with God. We need to have peace with God. Sometimes God, it's, it, it's, I'm saying, I used that illustration long time ago, no? Let us say, you're getting out of Alwal and we are going to, let us say, Vijayawada. We get on, we don't know the way, we put on the Google app, okay, and that lady starts telling turn 200 meters, and then we hit the highway. Once we hit the highway, the lady is quiet for a long time. The only time she will speak is if you take a wrong turn. So sometimes God doesn't have to speak to you because you are on the right road. You're on the right road. You're on the right road. But when you take a turn, God says, you're on the wrong turn. Wrong turn. What do I need to do, Lord? I'll reroute you. Go back to the blood. 
go back to the cross. Go back to the cross, go back to the blood, and get back on the narrow road again. Because sometimes people get it wrong. Oh, God didn't speak to me today. So you know what? I must be in the wrong. God says, no, you are in the right child. There's no problem here. There's no problem here. There's no problem over here. That's where fellowship matters. Fellowship matters. There are things over here. You walk in the light, you will have fellowship. If you have fellowship, there will be issues. Fellowship will all... See, a lot of people have already called a status quo in their relationship with their spouses and all that because they don't want to go any further. Because what will happen... Uh, the problem is that if you're a man, you don't want to be too intimately fellowship with your wife because you know you have to change. You have to change. She doesn't want to talk to too much because she knows she has to change. So you know what? We're okay. You How are you, honey, honey, honey? God says, you know what? The problem is that I told you you shall leave and you shall become one. The problem with becoming one is that you both have to change. So everybody has drawn their limits and this is how much I will change and we are very happy. The problem is, the fact is that they don't even really know what joy of a marriage is. Like we do not know the joy of a relationship with God is because we refuse to change. That's all flawed. Don't ask me any further. Any further. That's why the marriage relationship is put in our relationship with Christ because these are the only two relationships where you are asked to become one. The husband and the wife becomes one. The believer and Christ becomes one. The problem is we draw our limits. You know why we draw our limits? Because the old man is essentially selfish. He does not want to change. He will only change in areas where it brings him pleasure and comfort. The new man is on the other way completely. He will change in every way which brings God pleasure. That's what faith pleases God. The Bible never says faith pleases you. Where does it say faith pleases you? It never says. It says it pleases God. The other. So in your relationship, primary fellowship or not with your spouse, if you're walking by faith with your wife, that means your walk pleases her, not you. It doesn't necessarily please you. Okay. And this is where our problems come. Okay. Why has God given us yet so that we will learn how to walk with Him? This is how you walk with me. You're not able to walk with her because that's why you're not able to walk with me. Because principle is the same. Person is different. Principle is the same. If you can walk with your wife, you can walk with God. If you can walk with God, you can walk with your wife. Bachelors are one big who do I walk with? <laughs> I walk with God. Okay. Are you getting the picture over here? So the things which are here, which is the blood only does it. So when you are walking with a person, no, not a high by kind of a walk. When you actually walk with your person, you will realize the need for the blood. I need cleansing. I need cleansing. I need the blood. I need to repent. I still need to keep on changing. Still keep on changing. The new man lives in a different realm. But actually the enemy cannot touch him. Revelation 12 and verse 11. They overcame him by what? 
blood. How did they overcome him? By the blood of the lamb. By walking in the light and walking in fellowship and allowing the blood to protect them. Allowing. Okay. Just think about a simple example if you want to look in the terms of Egypt. God tells Egypt, simple thing. He says, kill this lamb, take the blood, apply on the doorpost of your house, stay inside. Stay inside. Okay. They had to hear it. They had to believe it. They had to do it. And they had to stay inside. And when they did it, the blood did its work. The blood did its work. Okay. Everything is actually being done by the blood. All they had to do is obey. Okay. It is the blood that is protecting them. Blood. So here the Bible says, we, we have heard, we have heard, we believe, we obey, we walk in the light, we walk in fellowship, and the blood is cleansing us. And because the blood is cleansing us, the devil is not able to do anything to us through his accusations. That, see, when the Bible says in the book of Colossians that Jesus disarmed powers and principles, disarmed is the term that is used, meaning took his arms off, his weapons, not his arms in the sense, his weapons. The devil's weapons were taken off. So the simple question is, what is the weapons of the devil? One is condemnation. And second is deception. Because you're walking in the light, he's not able to deceive you. Because you are walking under the blood, he is not able to condemn you. He is disarmed. He is not able to do anything. Your victory is actually inside, not outside. So he uses flesh and blood to beat you up and you are singing. You can't change your confession. Paul and Silas are singing. The devil is trying everything possible. These people cannot be touched. The devil cannot touch them with sin. The devil cannot touch them in any way. Sin cannot touch them. Satan can t- cannot touch them. Why? Because the newborn person is absolutely in control. And he's victorious. That's what the Bible talks about. That is the life that the Bible is talking about. And how did they overcame, overcome him? They overcame him by the blood of the lamp. And too, by the word of their testimony. Their thoughts align with the word of God says about their situation. Word of God says about this situation. And the third thing, they did not love their lives to death. Which lives? The old life. They are not bothered about their old life at all. Even to death, they are okay. Then there is nothing. Because we get upset because our old life is touched. But even you have no old life, it's already dead. Then where, what does he do to you? What does he do to you? He's powerless. He's powerless. The problem is, You have to live your life in the eyes of God. If you live your life in the eyes of the world, it still will not work. Because you all you hold, that's one of the curses of the fallen man. His mind is always operating on this thing. What does others think about me? That's the old man. The new man never thinks, what does others think about me? He's always thinking, what does God think about me? The old man is always concerned about other things, other people. So even if you are victorious, let us say you are victorious over sin, victorious over the devil, because people don't see you as victorious, it still affects you. 
That is why Paul is so important and his letters are so important because everybody thinks this man is a failure, that God has rejected him and he is not accepted as an apostle and that is why he is in chains, but it doesn't affect him. The opinion of others don't affect him at all. For us, even if we overcome sin and we our response is according to the word of God and everybody comes and believers, everybody comes and says, you know what? This is your problem. You are not a true apostle. You are not a true servant of God. You are in this. That is what happened to Job. Job is going kaputs because all his friends come and say, you are wrong. Where Job fails, Paul wins. Because opinion of man does not matter to him at all. Because he knows God is with him. The only opinion ultimately that matters is God's. Okay. Otherwise we will not overcome. We will not overcome. Otherwise, we will see victory in the eyes of the old man. That's not victory. That's still defeat. The devil has still got you. Still got you. You know, because if the devil cannot get you through other things, he will get you through the opinions of man. So ultimately, have come to this point is that only the opinion of God matters. So the blood of Jesus, our blood, his blood is our protection. And our sanctification. Acts 26 and verse 18. The fourth one. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins. And an inheritance among those who are. By faith in me. The fourth agent God uses to sanctify us is faith. You have the person of the Holy Spirit. You have the word of God. You have the blood of Jesus. Still, it's not enough. All that is on God's side. Spirit is God's side. Word is God's side. Blood is God's side. What are you going to do about it? It's by faith. It's by faith. It is like the children of Israel in Egypt. You have the lamp. You have the blood. You have the container. And then there is tiny little plan called hyssop taken. What is his? That's your faith. You, by faith, have to dip it. You have to apply. That's your faith. And how are you sanctified? You are sanctified by faith. And that's the most important part on our side. Faith. God can have everything that we need. But if you do not have faith... It still will not work. So how sanctified we become is ultimately determined by our faith. It's ultimately dependent upon whether we believe what the Holy Spirit says through the word. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. The Holy Spirit speaks. The word testifies. We believe. We obey. The blood of Jesus cleanses. Now, why, why did faith come over here? Everything that is happening is happening in another realm. Question is, do you believe? If you confess, he is faithful. And the blood of Jesus cleanses you of all unrighteousness. Did you see him? No. Did you see the blood? Did you see the blood cleansing you? No. So how do you accept it? By faith. That's the difficult part. See, sight is very easy. So old covenant was easier. At least you knew you killed an animal. 
You put your head on it, gave it to the priest, the priest cut his throat, took his blood, so oh, okay, I did some. That is why in religion people, like if you were in the Catholic church, like when we grew up, you were in the Catholic church, you go first, you go confess. When you confess, the priest will say, light this many candles or do this many novenas. So what happens is that you feel you are forgiven because you did something. But here you are forgiven because you did nothing. Just believe. You can't do anything. Like I said, you can... Restitution is a different thing. That's a different thing. Okay, that's a different thing. I'm not talking about restitution. If you stole somebody, you have to return it. That's a different thing. That's a work of repentance. What I'm saying is that you can never earn mercy. You can never earn grace. The most difficult concept for the fallen man. Because fallen man... Is law is made for the fallen man. And the law always demand do, 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 do. You will be accepted. God says you can do whatever you want. You will not be accepted. You have to receive it freely by faith. So ultimately faith comes. Faith operates in a different realm altogether. The question is, do you believe? Do you believe? Lord, I am sorry. Would you forgive me? Forgiven. Question is, will you receive mercy and walk away? Will you believe? It is the faith that sanctifies you. Because if you don't have faith, the devil will start using condemnation. You are not a child of God. But the question is, I was not a child of God by works. So how can I become a child of God by my works? You are not. You're born of God. That's our biggest problem. Because the old man works on sight. Sight is the evidence of his senses. The new man takes God at his word. It's the Holy Spirit who sanctifies. Have you seen the Holy Spirit? No. It is a word that sanctifies. Can you see the word sanctifying you? It's the blood that sanctifies. Can you see the blood sanctifying you? No. Then how do you know you are sanctified? By faith. By faith. My faith sanctifies me. Okay. And Hebrews 11.6 is basically talking about also that. Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. In this context, he who comes to God must believe that the Holy Spirit sanctifies. He who comes to God must believe his word sanctifies. He who comes to God must believe his blood sanctifies. And he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. How does he reward you? By sanctifying you. What is the greatest reward you can receive on this side of sanctification? More and more early means more and more I get to experience God. The greatest reward you can get on this side of eternity is sanctification because you are able to experience the creator. Not just creation. Only when you experience the creator you can actually enjoy creation. Otherwise we cannot enjoy creation. We think we are enjoying creation. You know? Like, let me tell you, use an example from our church. If you really want to enjoy many of the stuff, 
Stanley makes. I don't know its names. I don't even know what they are. You have to sit with him and he will explain to you. The stuff he makes. Okay. Now he will also tell you how it is made, the ingredients it is made, how it has to be eaten. We don't know even how to eat it. We take it and eat it and we think you enjoy it. And if you were to ask if you will say that's not the combination. That is not how. See, in old days when we were studying in college you know, and when we went for the weddings of our classmates, the girls, and you know, Hindu girls' classmates, we were always told this. Hindu weddings are all vegetarian. There'll be at least 28, 30 dishes. We were told, go sit next to an old man. Don't go sit with your friends because you don't know how to eat. Sit with him and watch him because each dish is served little, little and there is a combination in which you eat. So I would always look for an old man and go sit next to him because I look at him and I will eat. Because you know what? You don't even know what this is. You don't even know how to eat it. We think we are enjoying creation. God says you are not. Unless you know the creator, you don't enjoy creation. Enjoying creation. So we need to understand we don't even know what joy is, what pleasure is, unless we know the Creator. And the way to know the Creator is sanctification. Be holy because I am holy. With all holiness, no one will experience, know, see God. Okay, so understand. Otherwise, we will not follow these things. Why do people in this world pursue certain things because they find joy in it? Unless you find joy in God, that's what the Bible says, in his presence there is joy and pleasures forevermore. In his. You don't even really know. You don't even really know. Okay? Who diligently seek him. This faith pleases God. And sanctification, you have to see it as a reward. And we'll come to the final one as we close. Another five, ten minutes maybe. The fifth one. Matthew 23, 16-19 Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? Whoever swears by the altar it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gift that is on it is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind. For what, which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? So God brings two things. One is the temple, the other is the altar. He says, what is great, the gold or the temple? There is gold everywhere. But there's a difference between the gold and the temple. He says, the temple has sanctified the gold. Let me give you a, a human example. You lose your gold bangle. You file a police complaint. And this fellow will come and ask more gold from you. You hear in the news, thieves broke in, thieves broke into Tirupati and stole the gold. You know what? CBI comes down. Because it's completely different. Completely different picture. Suddenly everybody's sentiments because that was the gold that was sanctified. What made the gold different? The temple made the gold different. Temple made the gold different. That's what the Bible is talking about. It's a temple that sanctifies the gold. It's the altar that sanctifies the gift. So there is this fifth element God brings in. He says, you know what? The altar sanctifies you. The altar sanctifies you. 
Romans 12 and verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You see? Now, this is a spiritual altar. But God says every day when you offer yourself as a living sacrifice, there is something that happens. The altar is sanctifying you, setting you apart, setting you apart, setting you apart. Abraham lived in the promised land and when famine came, he ran to Egypt. Jacob lived in the promised land. He had to send his sons to get food when famine came. Isaac was never touched by famine. He prospered through famine. You know why? Because he was bound to the altar and the altar sanctified him. He cannot be destroyed anymore. Because the day his father bound him to the altar, the altar did a work on him. He set apart. He will never leave the promised land. He will be born there. He will live there. He will die there. Famine cannot touch him. What sanctified him? The altar sanctified him. The altar sanctified him. That's what the Bible is talking about over here. You have, you have to accept all these things by faith. Each day you go before God and offer yourself, you know what? God is doing something to you. You are being set apart. You are being set apart. It's a living sacrifice. But what is happening? It is not the sacrifice that made the altar holy. It's the altar that is making you holy and me holy. These things we have to do by faith. The spirit sanctifies. The word sanctifies. The blood sanctifies. Your faith sanctifies. And the altar sanctifies. And that is where two goes with it. When you offer your body as a living sacrifice. A lot of people try two without one. It won't work. We are hearing the word of God. But our minds are not being renewed. Why? Because the body has not been offered as a living sacrifice. So the altar is not sanctifying the gift because the gift is not on the altar. Okay. The body in which is the soul, which has to receive the word of God. The body, it's outside the altar. It's not on the altar. And the word of God is coming. And the word of God is not able to renew the mind because the altar is not working. On the other hand, God says, if you put your body on the altar, offer every day by faith as a living sacrifice, and then listen to the word. Like I said, Sundays, if you look at it, people come because out of duty, religion, oppression. Young people especially. If you look at some of our teenagers, as soon as they got their freedom, they don't come anymore. So all these days, why did they come? Because they were forced to come. So they sat in the church, but their bodies were never on the altar. So they sat for 14 years under the word. The word made no effect on them. No effect on them. And there are people like that who grow in the church. Grow in the church. But the minute they get their freedom to make autonomy, to, to make their own decisions, they go out as if they were never in church at all. You know why? Because there was never an altar that sanctified them. Alter never sanctified them. So these are fundamental truths we need to realize because sanctification does not work in vacuum. There are all these five ingredients that takes place, five agents of sanctification. And the fifth one, all are important, all are important. The fifth one is the altar. If there is no genuine surrender, 
every day in your life. You know what? The rest four won't work. It won't work. There has to be a surrender. Because when you surrender, the altar works. And the Holy Spirit is able to draw us apart from the world. And the word of God is able to cleanse us. Because we are apart. The word, word of God will not cleanse us in the world. Lord. It will cleanse us apart from the world. So your act of offering your body as a living sacrifice is the act of drawing you out of the world. The spiritual act. Spiritual act. Come like that tomorrow. Come like that every time for the hearing of the word of God. You will realize, you know what? I'm changing. Even if you don't realize, others will realize you have changed. You're not the same person. What happened to you? The sanctification that is taking place. Sanctification that is taking You have changed. But on the other hand, you are listening to the word of God and you are not changing. The problem is with the, the, the sacrifice. You have not offered yourself as a living sacrifice and therefore it is not changing. So the blood of Jesus Christ is able Please understand that. Able to keep us in a state of separation away from the power of Satan and the destroyer. Okay, the blood of Jesus can, can. It can, can do that. Because we have, we have one entity which the Bible talks about, the blood of Jesus. We have the Spirit of God. We have the Word of God. We have our faith and we have our surrender. And then, there is something which is a visible entity in the spiritual realm. The blood is still there. That protects us. That keeps us from the attack of the enemy. Ultimately we need, the word of God again is spirit. Faith is spirit. Holy Spirit is spirit. The surrender is spiritual. But there is one physical entity in the spiritual realm. You know what it is? It is the blood of Jesus. And we stay under the blood. You, we learn how to use these four, five agents. You know what happened? We start experiencing God, enjoying God more and more and more and more. We start enjoying God. And that's ultimately what salvation is. God says, come and enjoy me. Live your life. That is life. <laughs> Not what the world is talking about. Real life is enjoying God. And you enjoy God. And God has given us these five agents. So be sanctified. Be holy. Be holy. It's a process. But you enjoy God more and more and more. And when these things happen in our lives, the trials happen, the tribulations happen, the troubles happen, we react differently. Because we know one thing. One thing. Honestly, let me as I close, let me tell you. We know one thing. Nothing can separate me from God. That's the whole thing of Romans 8. He's not talking about tribulation. He's not talking about famine. He's not talking about sword. He's not, all that is reality. But he says, none of these things can separate me from the love of God, which is there is in Christ Jesus. That is victory. That is victory. You cannot separate me from this person of God. The love of God is associated with a person. It cannot separate me from the person. And you suddenly realize Satan has failed. That's why Philippians is such an important letter where in the middle of it he says, the Lord is near. 
I can do all things. I know how to be content. You know? I know how to rejoice. The peace of God is guarding my mind and my heart. What is all that connected with? It's one thing. The person. The reality of God. And that is our victory. That is our victory. Amen? Let's pray. Father, this morning we just thank you, Lord. We just thank you, thank you, thank you, Father, that we have that victory in Christ and Christ alone, O Lord. Teach us, Lord, daily to walk, listening to your Holy Spirit, obeying your word, allowing the blood to cleanse us. O Father, constant surrender, Lord, for the altar sanctifies and above all, Lord, to believe. Believe, not to look at the evidence of our senses. If you have said it, then that is what is true. For you have magnified your word above all your name. Your word will never pass away and scripture will never be broken. So Father, help us to live by faith. And it is true, faith, that we overcome this world. Help us, Lord, help us. Come in the rest of the day into thy hands. All your people everywhere into thy hands. And I speak healing into the body of Christ. Touch your children who are not well. Strengthen them. Heal them. And I pray tomorrow, if you tarry to come today, we'll be found in your house, Lord. Send us the questions for this evening, the wisdom to answer to, Lord. Come in the rest of the day into the hands of Father. Be with us. Teach us to walk with you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.